you know, I noticed you used four producers on your record. Yeah. And um, that doesn't usually happen, you know, because people want the, the glue and the consistency. But yeah. I, re I really enjoy that about your record. I feel there's a, a big variety. Um, yeah. First, what made you choose that? Um, you know, I was really looking for one producer. Mm -hmm. I was going to try the four and then single out one of them. I think, kind okay. Of test them out. Yeah, yeah, really. I don't tell them that. Yeah, of course. But, you know, <laughs> I, I was just kind of checking them out, see if I got on with them. Yeah. And um, I did. I fell in love with all of them. Uh, so I just thought, you know, I'm going to just do a few tracks with each one. Yeah. And the thing was, yeah, it, it did end up in the album being quite varied. But at, at first I thought, oh, maybe that's not a cool idea. Maybe we should have the consistency and everything. Mm -hmm. But then, then I thought, wait a minute, Beatle albums? There's like Blackbird goes yeah. into She's So Heavy, Piggies, Strawberry mm -hmm. Fields, Penny Lane. I mean, there's not one track similar to the next. Yeah, I, th I, feel, I feel it's a consistent record. Yeah. I didn't really realize there was four different producers no. until I got that information. Then I uh -huh. started diving a little deeper and I, yeah. heard, I heard some changes, you know, orchestral things. And yeah, you can hear it things. if you listen, listen for it. Yeah. But um, no, I think the thing holds it all together is it's me singing. So that. You know, you just, that's the consistency. Sure. Did you have mm. one person mix the whole record, or did they? Yeah, you, that's what well, that helps. Obviously, that's, that helps. Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, we got hip hop, we got country, we got pop, all at the iHeart Festival. Yeah. Um, you, me. You know, where, where do you put me in that category? Kind of all of them. Kind of. All. <laughs> You're all of them. <laughs> Welcome to this week's When There Was Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm John Stone. Well, this is two weeks in a row we've mentioned something on the show, and it comes to fruition during the following week. Do we have some magic going on here? Uh, apparently. Two weeks ago, we spoke about May Pang, and then during the next week, well, May Pang has a film. Last week, we spoke about Splinter, and we spoke about Dark Horse Records, and this week, Danny has managed to get all 11 of the original Dark Horse releases back out in digital form. Yeah, uh, some nice records there. I haven't checked them all out yet, but I'm going to because so far I like what I've heard. The remasters are really good. This is kind of something that I thought would never happen. 
<laughs> right. Splinter put out their albums in like Japan, but they didn't really remaster them. They just sort of took the vinyl and ripped it and found a company to release them. And I've had to live with the Splinter album that I bought in 1974. So it's nice to hear a, a, a clean version. And it's not just cleaned up. You can actually tell the remastering has been been done. The balance between instruments is much more pleasing to the ear, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. And for those who don't really know, that first Splinter album was basically a George Harrison album. About a year ago, I was involved making a film called Little Malcolm and His Struggle Against the Eunuchs. And in this film, there was... Uh, a part where we needed somebody in a nightclub scene, just in the background singing a tune. And so Mal Evans brought along those two guys and they did this song, a song for the film, which really fitted well. Mm. And uh, I thought, because the film is not the sort of film that's easy to sort of sell, you know, so this song was such a hit, I thought, if I could make a hit, then maybe the film people would be more interested in the movie. So I went to do a single with them, but then I heard the rest of the songs, and they were so good, I got involved making the album. Hmm. And the song from Little Malcolm still isn't out yet, because we did too many songs. Well, there's only nine songs on it. Some people might wonder, gee, why is this album so short? It's actually not that short, but it is only nine songs. Right. But the songs tended to be a little longer so i never thought "Ooh, this is a really short album yeah you mentioned that it's a george harrison album it's funny you know the the first time that i put it on it's the first time i've listened to it in, in a good long while the single comes up cost a fine town and it's like uh-huh. this doesn't sound like george harrison this sounds like billy joel <laughs> you know it's a mid-tempo piano ballad and he's really sort of singing in that kind of billy joel mode yeah i guess side of the road for the man who cleans the streets open pop doors where the working class goes at night but at the time billy joel really wasn't big it to me it sounded like harrison i mean the whole thing has that harrison vibes with the other eight tracks i absolutely agree with you the one that i like the most off of there from re-listening is uh, that song ellie may which is not about the beverly hillbillies (laughs) no i don't think so oh by the way did miss hathaway mention whether she had located the beatles beaten oh i hope they ain't got into her garden them is the peskiest bugs especially the potato beans oh no no this is a group that sings and plays musical instruments. The tickets, you say? <laughs> oh, yes, they're famous. They appear all over. They make a fabulous amount of money. Singing Beatles, huh? Well, let me know if Miss Jean finds them. I'd pay a quarter to see that myself. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You're still... They're like... Uh... Well, never mind. I-, I saw a picture of them, and I'm still confused. <laughs> And I've always liked, you can drink all day, you can drink all night.
George's slide playing is all over the record. That Ellie Mae has that almost kind of blow away acoustic guitar wash. And I love that. Yeah. I have to say, I haven't heard that much because it's just recently been released, but I'm looking forward to hearing how the other albums sound. Of the other albums, there are couple that Beatle people may want to listen to in particular. You, you have the two Ravi Shankar albums, Shankar Family and Friends and uh, Music Festival from India. Yes. And then George is very heavily involved in both of those records. And then you got Henry McCullough's solo record. After he left Wings, he, he went over to Dark Horse and recorded a record. <laughs> Mind your own business. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It doesn't sound like Wings, but it's the one that people would be wise to be on the lookout for. It's a good record. Yeah. The other artists, Kenny Burke, Stair Steps, they do a great Dear Prudence cover. I haven't heard it. Attitudes. Danny Cooch, is that who it is? Or? Karchmar, yeah. Yeah. So that's his band. And then the only American act, Giva, spelled J-I-V-A, which is an album I don't love, but we have to mention it because uh, uh, Michael Lanning, the lead singer of Giva, is a friend of Susan Pena's Lonnie's XY. <laughs> small world so we could theoretically get him on the show the last time i spoke to him he was like no nah, man that stuff's never coming out again <laughs> well that's very cool i mean it's a nice move by danny i'm a little bit surprised he managed the rights i thought all of that is scattered to the winds but somehow he did it he pulled it together yeah that's the first thing that's happened this week the second thing well thursday night in spokane McCartney started his Got Back tour. Yep. The only addition is he's doing Women and Wives. There is an audio recording of the whole show available on YouTube for those who are interested. It has the thing that everyone's talking about. I think his voice actually sounds better than it did three years ago. He has some rough spots for sure, but the time off seems to have helped him at least somewhat. Then beyond that, uh, <laughs> he hasn't really changed up the set list. He's, he's bought back a bunch of songs that he used to do in the past getting better for example which he hasn't done since 2003 but otherwise not really anything new well with the big exception peter jackson apparently came to him and pulled john's vocals on i've got a feeling out from the rest of the rooftop performance of it right so paul gets to duet with john <laughs> treading ground that natalie cole Tread. exactly i don't know how great a move that is but you know again he can do whatever he wants to do it's very nostalgic it's not unclassy it's not like dad grass <laughs> although you have no problem with dad grass <laughs> nope this move is not like dad grass this tour will continue for the next six weeks or so uh, it ends in new jersey i'm gonna see it at the end of the month over the holiday weekend in orlando all right, going to travel. It's funny. Uh, the Spokane News folks had an interview with a, quote, McCartney superfan, unquote, who's been to 21 shows. It's like, that nah, doesn't qualify you as being a superfan. <laughs> well. There are people who have been to literally hundreds of shows. 
That's true. And I haven't tried all that hard, and I'm over that number, so. Well, does that put you in the wealthy bracket? I don't know about wealthy. McCarty tickets aren't cheap. Well, I mean, the first handful I got in for less than face value back in the fun club days. Okay. The San Antonio show. That's that's been a while. (laughs) The Dallas show, the San Antonio show, and the Houston show from the late 80s. So I managed that. So since I've had the money to be able to do it, I've been able to spend it. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, good on you. But that's not the entirety of the show. And a couple of those 2010 shows, people were just giving me tickets. If you can get a plane, you can have it. And it's like, okay. Right. Beetle people are nice that way. They'd rather the ticket go to someone who will use it and enjoy it than let it go to waste. Maybe the 21 shows were just his last tour. McCartney's Spokane debut stage will actually mark off concert number 22 for this super fan. Nathan Gedge says he's seen every McCartney U.S. tour. No, they said that it was 21 since the Wings Over America tour. You couldn't find anything else to cover about the show, so you're going to cover this guy who came from Utah to Spokane, Washington, and came to see the show. Nothing wrong with that, but just amuses me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel like I've seen McCartney a lot, and I think I've only been to five shows. So, Well, I mean, you know, that is that is a reasonable enough number as well. But we're not calling you a super fan, are we? You call, no. you call us a podcast, but <laughs> no one's applying the super fan moniker. No, not really. And truthfully, I'm not sure that we really want that. <laughs> but no one will challenge me at Beatle Trivia. There you go. Although I did beat Joe Biardi. <laughs> this is Paul from the Fab Five, and I want to say I'm so happy to be here in Houston. I love the music scene, love the football here. Go Texans, and uh, hope to be back soon, man. This was before the pre-screening of the movie yesterday. They called us up. They didn't know who they were calling up. And they pulled up me, and they pulled up Joe Biardi. Wow. We took out all of their questions. (laughs) The last one was actually a judge's decision. It was, where was the Beatles' last live performance? Joe said San Francisco, California, and then I said the rooftop. And it's like, well, they're both correct. No, actually, they're not. Your answer was correct. Okay. So you agree (laughs) with me. Yeah, if you're going to say, what was the Beatles' last performance? They were thinking last paid live performance, but they didn't put that word paid in there. Right. Anyway, it turns out the prize was something Joe couldn't use. (laughs) It was radio station swag, and it's like, (laughs) do I really need koozies and bumper stickers? And I think I ended up giving most of that away. Right. But it's like, okay, all right, fine. But you won. But I won. I beat Paul McCartney of the Fab Five, Joe Biardi, so. (laughs) All right, so... What did we decide to talk about? We decided to talk about something new. Yeah, <laughs> Not the album, something new, but new the album. In part because, well, earlier this week, I was listening to the Beatles channel on in the car on the way home, and Appreciate came on, and it took me to, uh, just a second. It's like, oh, yeah, this was a cool song. And it like, kind of made me go back and listen to the whole album. And it's like, yeah, this was a really good album. I mean, we've been saying that, but it really is a really good album. Yeah. There's a lot of depth to it that some people know about and some people don't, but it's real personal to him and covers a wide variety of viewpoints about life. Well, I mean, it was the first full-fledged Nancy album, I would say. Yeah, I think she shows up several times. He mentions that Nancy was at the show in Spokane. It's like, isn't Nancy at just about every one of your shows, Paul? Nancy's been to more than 21 shows. She could probably be considered a super fan. <laughs> yeah, I guess. If you're married to the guy. 
Well, one would think. New came off of Kisses on the Bottom, an album that you don't love. But I love this one, so. <laughs> it was his first studio album since Memory Almost Full. Which I also liked. Memory Almost Full is not as good as the record before to the record after it. Chaos is a better record. New is a better record. But Memory Almost Full is a good record. Says you. Really? You prefer Memory Almost Full to Chaos? Yeah. You're allowed that as well. <laughs> right. So it makes one of us a super fan, I'm sure. <laughs> but the whole run is really very good. Yeah. <laughs> Everything after Driving Rain, I, I have nothing to complain about pretty much. This album, which came out in 2013, got to number three. With all the promotion he put into it, I think he was really trying to get a number one. It, it took till Egypt Station for him to figure out exactly how to make that happen. <laughs> It took him that long to become Pete Bennett. <laughs> there was a, a little gap in there. He worked with several producers. Yeah, I remember the rumors were the album would be out kind of at the end of 2012 or early in 2013 before he started his next leg of the tour. We're 93 XRT. Terry Hemmert here on a New Music Thursday. New mu- Did I say new music? New, the word new is key today because... Paul McCartney has been sitting up late at night tweeting the word new in all kinds of connotations. And I wonder why that is. Let's ask Paul McCartney himself, who's calling us this morning. Hello, Paul. Hey, Terry. How are you? Hey, Chicago. Hey, and what's up with new? Um, It's a new single. So, and it's going to be the title of the new album, too. Uh Uh-huh. So, um... Everything's new, baby. <laughs> it is new. Well, I think there's so much excitement about this album because your tour has just been fantastic. Uh, you know, the Fireman Project was so great, uh, working with the Nirvana guys, and then that bloody beetroot out of sight. That was brilliant. And we sense this real new energy in you. You know, you keep renewing yourself and reinventing yourself, and, and the excitement that you're bringing to this project, I think, is is you can hear it in the music. Can we now call it his never-ending tour? I mean, the last two years aside. We refer to Dylan's ongoing tour experience as the never-ending tour. Paul really hasn't been off the road that much since 2001. Which indicates to me it's not that hard. To be out on tour? Yeah. I think he's crafted it to uh, a point where it's not that hard on him. I think so. and I think that's also part of the reason why... He hasn't changed up the set list. He came back and apparently they did like two, three days of rehearsals and that's it before they went out on the road. Well, how long has that band been together now? Well, this is true too, but even so, for some of the earlier tours, particularly for the 2002 tour where he had a bunch of new songs, they did a week and a half, two weeks of rehearsals before they went in and actually did a practice show before they let the audiences in. And again, the band was new at that point in time. And really, that's their gig. I mean, I don't know that Paul ever really got John to rehearse. (laughs) You know, they rehearsed every once in a while, but they didn't really do a lot of rehearsals. But the band behind McCartney, their whole job is to be great at that sound. And Paul can come in and do his thing. So they're well honed, I think. And they know all of this material exceedingly well because they played it at one point or another over the last 20 years. Yeah. For the fans, at the very least, I'd like to see Martha, my dear, and Rocky Raccoon enter the set just so he could cross them off of the here are my Beatles songs that I've done live and on tour. <laughs> I'm surprised Martha, my dear, isn't in there. And he doesn't even do them in soundcheck. 
Right. And his soundtracks have also, as much as he likes to say they're free and loose, we can do anything we want, he still does the same batch of songs there pretty much as well. He'll do some Buddy Holly, he'll, he'll do Leaning on a Lamppost, he might do Ram On. There's a dozen or so songs which he will constantly go back to and soundcheck. Well, I doubt he's going home and learning new Bob Dylan tunes. He <laughs> could learn something of his own. He could he could come back and do like Arrow Through Me or something. <laughs> this is true. The other thing is he sounds better on his post-2000 material than he does on his pre-2000. His voice is closer to what it was when he recorded that. When he does Dance Tonight or when he does Fa You, that sounds more or less like the record. And his voice can absolutely handle that. Right. That's our thoughts on touring. What were we talking (laughs) about? We were talking about new, weren't we? We were, kind of. The album came out in October of 2013. It went to number three, as we said. And we both think it's a really great album. Opens up with a really good rocker. Save Us, which was part of the live set for a long time. Uh, It's kind of meant to be Get Back Part 2. Or at least that's the way I view it in my eyes. Yeah, okay. Because it kind of has that same, you know, drum marching beat that Ringo provided to get back. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. I guess, in a way, it reminds me of So Glad to See You Here. A little bit of that as well. Although I think it's a little less Wings. You know, some of these other tracks are much more Wings. Yes. Wings definitely makes an appearance on this record. Or at least that style. The second song, odd lyrics, it's Alligator. It's a nice little acoustic song. This is the start of kind of what you were talking about. Paul having a little bit of introspection. Yes. It kind of opens up a bunch of memories. The, The next several songs are about his youth everybody's doing better than me and i can see how it is did he really think that do you think i mean he was riding a little bit of a high at this point we're all insecure of course yeah but he's almost 70 at this point looking back on what life is and there's a bunch of really philosophical thoughts talking about how they got there he could see how that happened at the end But then he resolves it into lyrics about his alligator. Is it going back to my salamander? (laughs) The lizard king. You know, I I would just come home, get myself a little cup of tea or something, and sit with my guitar or piano. And uh, on on alligator, I was... uh, A cup of coffee, a cup of tea as well? Just knocking around. It was actually a cup of green tea. I wanted to feel zen. I was messing around. I sort of found that. But then I got it kind of going. Yeah. Need someone to come home to. Started just sort of getting the idea. Need someone to come home to. Need someone to come home to. And you went there naturally straight away. I mean, you just followed it. 
It's kind of basically the same shape yeah. with these two. And the words, I just need somebody to come home to, I need somebody to come home to, that came to you naturally from the music, it lent itself yeah. to that emotion? Yeah, I knew that in about three hours time, three or four hours time after I started, mm. I would be gonna ring Nancy, who was in New York, and I would, I knew I'd wake her up. Around about 12 o'clock, it was seven o'clock for her. Mm -hmm. So this gave me a motivation to write something, then ring her up and say, morning baby, you wanna hear a song? <laughs> You are such a, you are such a player. Smoothie. That's amazing. Come on, man. <laughs> Still writing songs for girls, basically, right? That's what it's like called. like to hear a song, honey? <laughs> Still writing songs for chicks. He tries to throw some zoo metaphors in there. I don't know that those necessarily work. The ideas are good, and he's got pieces, but he probably could have strung the lyrics together in a slightly different way. Right. But it's a cool song. You, you got lots of different bits of instrumentation there. Yeah, it's got a, a good vibe, I think. I like it. And you got harpsichord. <laughs> right. You always have to appreciate a nice harpsichord solo. <laughs> George Martin makes an appearance. Or the ghost of George Martin. In the form of Mark Ronson. Yeah. He produces several songs. So Giles Martin did the final production on it to give it kind of a singular sheen. But there are four different producers for all of the tracks on this album. Right. Okay, the next song is On My Way to Work. We don't think of Paul McCartney getting on a bus and going to work, but well, he actually did. And these are actual memories. The imagery in this song is from a day in the life. Having a smoke, going upstairs on the bus. Paul uses that as a start and then fleshes out his memories, collecting cigarette packs. <laughs> right. Sneaking a glance at a dirty magazine. <laughs> she she came from Cheshire to study history. She took her clothes off for the likes of me. It's, it's a great line. Reading a little naughty magazine. In Britain, you know, there are naked girls kind of everywhere. <laughs> the newspaper that someone left behind on the bus, you open it up and you have black and white pictures of naked girls in there. It's like, oh, it's not like Playboy. When did that start? That's a good question. The idea of supplementing a newspaper's editorial content with pictures of women in various states of undress came about after Rupert Murdoch acquired and relaunched The Sun in 1969. Well, they clearly had the same sort of little biography that was common in Playboy. You know, I love riding horses and walking along the beach. And this girl comes from Chichester. <laughs> that job that he had at that time for a while he was working for a delivery service and, and then the one that john actually broke him out of <laughs> right right i don't remember exactly what he did wrapping wire because and he always says that he was pretty bad at it yeah so john went and said you're leaving you're coming with us for this lunchtime gig or you're out of the band and well right. that was the last time paul had a 
what we would call a nine to five job. What was the line about dreams, which I thought was really good. How could I have so many dreams and one of them not come true? That's so great. The assessment of his life. Every one of his dreams came true. It's that same insecurity, which seems to be, you know, floating through a bunch of these songs. Do you think that's insecure? Uh, I think at least a little bit. I'd sort of see it as celebratory. How could I have so many dreams? All of them came true. It is a very evocative song. Yes, very much so. Then Queenie Eye, which is the most like a Beach Boys revolver <laughs> style song. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on in that too. Twists and turns. It's got a great video. Check that out. Oh, love the video. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and how did you get so many people together in one room? I didn't quite know who would be in it. People started to show up. It was Johnny Depp, Alice Eve, James Corden, Meryl Streep. So it's like it's turning Abbey Road into a little party zone, you know. Just fine by me. Meryl Streep said, I was in London and someone called me up and said, you want to come down and be in the video? And That's probably how they got every single one of them. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to be... In a Paul McCarty video. Yeah. At that point, James Corden was pretty much known in Britain. James Corden, who's leaving the late show with James Corden next year. Yeah. And Chris Pine. <laughs> yes. And a lot more that I can't think of off the top of my head, but it's a real fun video. A lot of Stella's model friends. They drop uh, through. Paul enjoys having uh, slinky dress models dancing on his piano. <laughs> Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about the video in particular is the full length version, you know, where it starts with he, he's in the control room talking to Giles, and, and then, you know, he sort of just walks out and down into the studio and starts playing. And then I guess it's supposed to be a fantasy. It's not really supposed to be a real party. In his head, all of these people just sort of start appearing. <laughs> right. And they're appearing out of what would seem to be their actual lives. you got some people who are sitting there crying sad over something. you got some people who are just sitting around reading, and then all of a sudden, they're in the studio watching Paul record this song. <laughs> yeah, and some of them seem to know it. <laughs> it is clearly a fantasy. And then they disappear, and, well, Paul says goodnight to Giles and exits the room. And that works? It's a real simple idea. But just because you can bring all these familiar faces, it's almost like a Sergeant Pepper thing. You know, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? And it was played everywhere. I mean, you know, even though this was past the point that music video was anything that anybody paid attention to, for, oh, four, six months, I'd go into the gym or I'd go into a restaurant and there would be this video on the TV. Well, it should have gotten to number one then. <laughs> yes, it should have, but the charts really weren't in that place in 2013. Yeah, that's true. I like the break in this where it goes really quiet and just him and the piano. Yeah. 
it's a total idyllic middle and then it builds up into this big chorus yeah the ending vocals are great you know next time you listen to it pay close attention to those backing vocals because they're complex but really really cool yeah this was one of the ones that he debuted on that iHeartRadio thing even before the album came out. I was there and we were talking to Paul McCartney and I saw him not knowing how to talk to me, yeah. which I don't know really how to talk to Paul McCartney, so it was made me very comfortable because it made him more uncomfortable. <laughs> and um, so sometimes it kind of is like a nice like convo icebreaker, you know? It's, it's definitely like, an icebreaker. You can just be like, stop staring at my tits, and then like the convo just kind of keeps going. You I know? see. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> not usually. <laughs> Miley Cyrus was uh, uh, in her outrageous stage, and well, she was wearing pasties, and and she likes to tell the story of embarrassing Paul pasties and only pasties over her breasts. Well, apparently, he just likes a certain kind of scantily clad <laughs> woman on his piano. Madonna, he'll take Miley Cyrus. No, <laughs> go, go away. I don't need any Hannah Montana right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, or after that. She's a wrecking ball. Was that before or after that? It's hard to believe that this has all been 10 years ago now. Yeah. And I think her career was a little bit more than that. She did a couple songs on the Flaming Lips cover of Sgt. Pepper, which is just weird. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I haven't. Miley is on like the, the Lucy and the Day in the Life. And, you know, it, it's Flaming Lips. It's, it's kind of what you expect it would be. Which is why I haven't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, there, there's no need for you to listen to it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I think you pretty much know what that might sound like. <laughs> but There's so much other stuff out there I'd rather hear. <laughs> You'd rather go listen to the Giva album. <laughs> yes. So the next song, speaking of Johnny Depp, uh, Early Days. Right. Hair slick back with Vaseline, two guitars across our back. It's a real-life recounting of his memories of his boyhood with John Lennon. And the video is great, although I don't quite know whether the old blues singers fits in with the mood he's trying to set here. You and I have talked many times about fandom of the Beatles, how he must relate to that. Because, you know, his belief kind of is like, you know, go and have fun fun with your fandom but i know what happened so sod off you know well mark lewison takes that a little bit personally uh, and although i don't think he was really directing that at mark well i don't know that he is but there are people who have devoted a good portion of their lives to beetle research and that's just got to be a weird thing to be that guy he tells the story of that he went to classes there was a little girl there who was i mean little girl you know teenage girl there who was saying oh we've been studying about the beatles in history well number one you've been studying about us in history that amused him and then number two she's oh yeah we were learning about this and that and when you wrote this and what you were thinking and it's in his head it's like i wasn't thinking any of that i've never thought any of that right that's why it's weird yeah i'm, I'm agreeing with you that's how he got to the idea yeah, well, it's that whole thing of, of being the person in the limo. You're there. You know what happened. And then to have someone say, well, this is what happened then. And it's like, that's not what happened then. You know, you know. Even to take something like Paul getting turned away from that after party, you know, that became such a big story. 
We don't really know what was going on there. We know that his limo turned up, they went to the door, and then then they turned around and left. Everything else is people saying things which may or may not be true. As far as the song goes, Paul has kind of deliberately chosen to emphasize his old man voice. I agree with that. And this is really the first time he kind of let it go out on record, the old man voice. (laughs) <laughs> he wanted to change it. He wanted to do a better take, but but Ethan Johns and Giles Martin convinced him that that no, this was the way to go on this song. Martin has mentioned that there were some emotional moments in making this record. I wonder if that's one of them. It could well be. The next song is new. It's the single. It's a great track. <laughs> it's Paul's at his poppiest. He does the classic Paul McCartney piano beat. Your brother should know, or Penny Lane, you know, that bouncy piano. And it works perfectly here. Uh, Flaming Pie is another one. Yeah. And it makes an appearance again on one of the bonus tracks, but uh, we'll get to that. I was just uh, sitting at my piano Mm -hmm. late at night, and yeah, I was missing her. She was away. She was in New York, and I was in England. So uh, this was my way of bringing us together. This song has got a lot about wings in it. Lots of little synths at the end, the guitar riff. And the three-part harmony. Yes. The end of the song is great. (laughs) It's great. Could I ask one favor? Could everyone just go back to their things? We just need to record a little bit of silence of everyone standing there. Just so we have the tone. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough. That's enough. enough. I think we've recorded some things in our time. So this is another Mark Ronson. And it's weird because it, it does sound so much like Wings. Absolutely. It's... Easily could have been a a hit in a different decade. Put it out 10 years earlier. New and Dance Tonight are both sort of songs that if he'd put out in 1978 would have just (laughs) blown the doors off of the charts. That's funny you said it because I was just thinking they belong on London Town. (laughs) Those two songs would have improved London Town considerably, I think. Yeah. The next is a song that I was talking about that kind of started this whole discussion. Uh, appreciate it's different than anything else on this record yeah i mean it's like sequencers and synths and echoes and loops and oh my gosh i like this a lot i like the regular backing vocal with the affected lead vocal that's really kind of cool yeah that was sort of what came up on the radio which is like yeah i remember this this is a really cool track yeah, and I like his high part in it, that he uses his high voice, and it really works. Then you got him singing on a single chord and then going from the major to the minor. Right. And it's not something that if you played it to someone who doesn't know Paul McCartney would necessarily go, oh, that's a Paul McCartney track. Exactly. And it's good that it comes right after New. New, there's no question about who this guy is. <laughs> right. But appreciate is like, who's that? And again, I like the video in this one, so... Yeah, the history of humanity. Yeah. When Paul tried to have that robot who, he tried to take on tour with him to Japan, but that just never worked. They didn't appreciate it. No, it's kind of a sci-fi concept. Yeah. Where Paul himself is a display in this uh, museum of humanity. Fits in with Paul's ongoing slight obsession with science fiction. (laughs) 
he's not like a big science fiction nerd, but he likes it. And when the chance to express something in that vein comes up, yeah. I think he worked with Gene Roddenberry for a little well, bit. He, he worked with Gene Roddenberry and George Lucas. There you go. He had wanted to try and come up with a wing science fiction film. But Kiss beat him to it. Well, I think we could be glad that never happened. <laughs> what he likes to talk about, what a great concept that Rupert the Bear has this glass bubble he can get in and just fly away anywhere in it. How that's kind of a science fiction concept that he'd like to crib. All right. Next is one of the few songs that doesn't work quite so well. I like it, but it falls a little bit flat. That's uh, everybody out there. It has kind of an off-the-ground vibe to me. I don't know why. He so desperately wanted that call and response to work, and it never worked live. That was kind of the whole point of the song, almost. It's not a bad song. It just falls a little bit flat. I would have replaced it with one of the bonus tracks. It's about being the good in the world. It's another one of those, what's the point of us being here kind of lyric. Right. Produced by Giles. Next is Hosanna. That's a nice song. That's a song that I kind of wish he'd do live. I wouldn't mind seeing my Valentine replaced with this. It's all right. You get some nice harmonies. You've got that string section, which I like a lot. Songs about falling in love. Nancy kind of makes an appearance. Ethan Johns produced this, which is then followed by I Can Bet. Right. <laughs> I Can Bet. It's almost a good night tonight feel. You know, it's more of that wings, slightly disco. Yeah, I guess. You got a Moog uh, synthesizer solo in there. Slightly naughty lyrics. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Another one from Giles. Yeah. Then looking at her, really one of the slower tracks on the record, other than Hosanna. Right. It's nice. It's a good song. He goes up into his higher range here. It has a soft verse, and then when he talks about <laughs> losing my mind, it gets kind of crazy, and it music it reflects that, and I like that. Yeah, the, the guitar gets heavy all of a sudden. As a girl from Ipanema kind of lead. <laughs> Paul likes to uh, crib from the old standards when he can. <laughs> right. It's a good song. It's, it's another Giles song. The album proper ends with Road, which is, uh, it's kind of a weird song to end the album with. It's a good song. Nice lyrics. Twisty, winding lyrics. <laughs> the twisty, winding road. Well, it's not that long. Ah, it's slightly nightmarish. He does a nice lead. Uh, it's a Paul Epworth production. The road is stretches through the night. We follow blindly, heading for the light. Then Paul does the Abbey Road thing. He uh, encodes some silence on the disc. And we get a secret track after that.
is a great track it's the most ballady of the songs on the album <laughs> right i'm not sure why he put silence why he decided to, to make this a bonus track but he yeah. did i think it's good enough to be part of the record and it is unlike these other tracks we're about to talk about in a second here i would have just kind of it, it's a better album closer than road right you know it's a strongly emotional song it's another nancy song you know this is the third or fourth definitively Nancy's song that we've mentioned off of this record. It's hard to believe that he was almost 70 when he wrote this record. Well, it's hard to believe that he's almost 80 now. <laughs> yes, it is. And he's still putting out music and still playing. So Paul put out a couple different versions of New. There were like three versions, and they were all in Japan, and we got bonus tracks on each different version of it. So each new would be new. So, I mean, that's why I kind of wonder when he gets back around to this album, whether he's even going to bother with a, an archive edition. It's like, I've done that already. <laughs> right. It was the archive edition in itself. Just like with Egypt Station, he put out a big full archive edition. There was a video disc and there were all sorts of bonus tracks. And it almost seems like what he decided is, well, I've got to do this stuff live because I want to fill out the release with 
the live versions of these tracks. Save us and Queenie Eye and everybody out there come back as live versions on the final, the Japanese tour edition of New. Oh my gosh. The first bonus song that we get is Turned Out. Right. A good example of how something can be used because Turned Out was used as part of Queenie Eye. And so Turned Out really isn't as good of a tune and then clearly when he wrote Queenie Eye, he used part of it. He plays that, that cigar box guitar, the one that he played with Servana. And, right. and I like the sound of that instrument. Right. It is a good song. It's okay. I said. Not your favorite. And it became better when it became Queenie Eye, which I wouldn't yeah. disagree with. But they're still distinct enough that I'm glad to have the both of them. Yeah. Costello did that a lot in his early career. He put out different versions of things and use part of one thing into something else. So it's, it's, it's a cool thing. I, I just think Queenie Eye is better. Queenie Eye is one of the best songs on the record. There you go. And obviously he agrees. Not only did he leave it off as a bonus track, he's still doing Queenie Eye. Right. You know, Queenie Eye is in the set that I'm going to see in May. Well, that's part of being a great editor, is knowing when something works better elsewhere. The second bonus track is, is Get Me Out of Here, which is kind of a loping, I've seen it described as a lo-fi AM radio sound. It's kind of that. It bounces along. It's a song based on the title of a television show, which he does name check in the song. <laughs> Get Me Out of Here, I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> We're in for a whales of a time here on I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here! But it's fun. Yeah not necessarily his best song it's a change of pace song it's not great but it's all right then there's one more a song called struggle it's not the best it's okay it's kind of a, a drone a little bit harrison-esque kind of a, a chant drone that one probably did not deserve to go on the record and <laughs> no, I, I would agree that role was taken up with appreciate of these three songs get me out of here probably is the one that i'd put on the record proper and then there's still more. There was the tour edition, which had a couple more songs, both of which I like. I like a whole lot, actually. Demon's Dance. It's a piano-based song. This is about as funky as Paul gets. It is piano-based and vocal. I mean, there's not a lot of trickery on this at all. The beat and the harmony just sort of invite you in. For a song called Demon's Dance, it's surprisingly not a scary song. No, it's like a cartoon. You know, a demon dance. <laughs> That's a good description of it. But I would definitely have put this on the record proper. Yeah, it would have worked. I don't know what I would have replaced, but it's not a 70-minute record. This one could have gone on the rock record proper and not replaced anything. Right. And the final of our special non-live songs, because we won't talk about them, but the final Japanese tour edition did include several live versions. You know, we'll talk about some of the other live stuff that he did around the release of this record uh, before we leave here, but hell to pay. Yeah. I like that one. It reminds me a little bit of angry. Yeah. Not so much in the incessant beat, but he's definitely looking to feed emotion to you through the song. Yeah. You got pianos, you got guitars, you got synths in there. I like it kind of because it's not cookie cutter. And while it doesn't sound like wings, it has a very seventies feel to it. I'll agree with that particularly in the guitar. This is one that very definitely should have been put on the record somewhere. It goes with what we say. Paul does not know which songs are the best songs from any given session. 
there's nobody in his life that plays that role. You know, he just records a bunch of stuff, and then it's, well, I like these 12 songs, or, or these are the first 12 songs that I like good enough to put on the record. Oh, we've got these other songs. We'll find a place for them. <laughs> An editor is really important. Yeah. Giles does that a little bit, but you got to think that Giles still feels kind of intimidated by Paul, at least somewhat. His role in that situation is not necessarily one where he feels he could tell Paul. Well, he might make suggestion here or there, but you really have to have someone who can tell you the truth. Like, ooh, boy, no, not that one. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to find someone. Well, and then you do that, and Paul just says, okay, great. I just won't ever work with you again. Yeah, <laughs> right. He may listen. It may make the record better, but nope, we're done. We finished <laughs> the session. We're done. I don't want to hear that from somebody again. <laughs> he has gone through some folks. Oddly enough, the multiple reducers thing seems to suit him. I mean, it suited Ringo. Time Takes Time is better for having multiple producers. Yeah. I kind of think both of them should take a hint and not bring in a single producer, especially when it's yourself, for the whole record. Bring in two or three people. Let them produce a couple songs. And then new works because you do have Giles sort of up on top of everything, smoothing all of the harsh differences out but you still have the sound and feel of the different producers yeah i think the idea of having it open like that you know you could work two or three songs and then rather than feel like now we've got to do you know 11 more you just finish with that producer and you go to someone else and maybe you'll get one song out of that maybe you'll get two or three and then go to somebody else as we mentioned earlier this was kind of paul's introduction to the world of big huge promotion he kind of hadn't done that quite so much before this he'd bring people in do a special live show or something but this was the big pop-up shows and and i'm gonna go and do just big huge performances on i'm gonna close down los angeles i'm gonna close down times square he, he did all sorts of things for new good afternoon everybody <laughs> Welcome to Times Square, New York City! Okay, we're just gonna do a couple of songs off our new album for you. Are you ready? So he started out with the iHeartRadio Music Festival, and that was even before the record came out. I, I remember sitting there just waiting and waiting because this was the first time we would hear these songs off this new record. Uh, that was like on a Monday and a Tuesday night. Then after the iHeart thing was the Kemmel Show, you know, they did a couple songs on the air, but I mean, he did a full concert from the streets of Los Angeles, and they literally shut down the streets of Los Angeles for Paul to do this show on the 23rd of September. 2013. Hmm. Then on John's birthday, he showed up and did a did a and a and, and did a show at the uh, Frank Sinatra School of the Arts. <laughs> that whole thing is on YouTube. That's a really actually good discussion with Paul, where he talks about the business of songwriting, how he comes up with things. You know, a lot of the same things that he would write about in the lyrics book later. But, you know, hearing him and then having him answer questions from students that are Actual students, not necessarily Beatle people. Yeah. Either Beatle people or 
typical reporters asking the same old inane questions. Right. The next day, he did that Times Square pop-up. They told nobody. It was, I remember, you know, uh, sitting there on Facebook, and then, like, that morning, something's happening in Times Square. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Something McCartney's happening in Times Square. And then they unloaded the piano, and he did a couple songs. For the album? Yeah, from the album. That's cool. Literally a pop-up. Right. And you can do that in Times Square because, well, Times Square is almost all foot traffic. There's almost no automobile traffic through Times Square. Not that I remember from the couple times I've been in Times Square. The last time I was there, there was foot traffic. It's predominantly foot traffic. There, there's some street traffic, but I believe they set up just outside of the transportation terminal. That was a neat idea, and it kind of influences later performance inside for Egypt Station, but this being really more or less a complete surprise, that was kind of a neat thing to do. Pushing that record to number three. <laughs> exactly. After Kimmel, he did The Tonight Show, where he did the same thing. In studio, he did 11 or 12 songs, three or four from the album, two of them on the air, and then they streamed the rest of the show. You know, I guess that's the other thing. This was early days for streaming as a medium. Yeah. It was a kind of a novelty that you could put something out there. And so, I mean, he was almost an early adopter to it with putting this stuff out there. And, and like I say, most of these are still available on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then after that, uh, he did both a, a morning and an afternoon performance on uh, a BBC chat show so where he did combined uh, about a dozen songs. So between the 21st of September and mid-October... Remember, there was a tour coming just after this. So this was, again, kind of working the band, making sure everything is in perfect shape for the upcoming tour. The songs often knew that he was doing, he was doing new, he was doing Queenie Eye, he was doing everybody out there, and he was doing Save Us, the same four that he would do in that next round of the tour. So is Queenie Eye the only song that he's kept uh, Queen Eye seems to be the only song that he's kept, yeah. Okay. He does swap out songs. He may be swapping out New and Queen Eye. When he does two consecutive nights, he does like to change out at least three or four songs. It's believed that like Things We Said Today is going to show up somewhere in the set. Uh, New, they've rehearsed, so that may show up. You know, Like you say, he may replace Queen Eye with that. That's where he's at with this tour. All right, that was New. Good album. Go out and buy it. Listen to it. Stream it. Stream it. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's well worth your time. Revisit it. It's been nine years, which is hard for me to believe still. <laughs> yeah. Just because we don't get that many albums anymore, and it's still been three records ago now. Yeah. You know, he continues to put work out that uh, has a relevance to it. I mean, he's just not writing some commercial songs. He's still an artist. This album certainly illustrates that. This was probably more of a band record than some of the other ones. There is that hour-long special that came along with this disc, which is on the DVD with, in the Japanese tour edition of it, where they sort of show you the band coming up with the parts and things. 
the band worked hard on this record. This was probably as much of a band record as anything since Wings. Well, it's, it's good. Not limited to the band. Paul would bring in other people as he wished, but the band was still there as the basis for the sound of this record. Right. Yeah. Chances are it's Abe on drums. For the most part, yep. Yeah. And we all love Abe. Abe is a great drummer. Well, Abe is the one that you know provides that power pounding to like save us. Yeah. Yeah. So it works live and it works on the record. It's it's not it's the same guy, it's not someone trying to imitate Abe. <laughs> right. <laughs> like in previous tours, Abe sometimes would pound a little bit hard on like my love. You know, Paul would do my love and, and Abe's drumming, while it was not inappropriate, it was probably not quite what it should have been. He didn't quite have the the feel to it that uh, that the wings version did. Yeah, you know, duplicating parts is a tough thing, particularly when you're duplicating parts that span, maybe I'm amazed, 1970 through a career of the different drummers that McCartney's worked with. Wings, who had almost as many drummers as Spinal Tap. (laughs) Right, the last one blew up, didn't he? He became a member of a Christian cult. That's almost the same thing. (laughs) Right. I like Abe a lot. I think he's brought a lot to, I mean, that whole band is really, you know, made McCartney's brand work into his old age. Paul does the right thing by them. I think, you know, if it fits for them to be on the record, he, he invites them in and lets them do their parts. But if it doesn't, well, he'll let somebody else do it or he'll do it himself. It's all cool with the band. Right. Damn it, I'll get Mike Leander to do the strings. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll be back with a new show next week. This has been new. Well, it has been new, and it will be new next week as well. This has been very new. All right, talk to you soon. Good night. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. You know, I, I, if you listen to this album, one of the main things you get about it, uh, out of it, is how much fun these tracks are. And, and I, I was curious because you know you, you spend time in the studio, kind of getting the song down. But then I suspect the fun comes when you, with all the different production ideas that you know, the little backward voices, the off mic mm-hmm. voices on "Save Us," the kind of slowed down part of "Queenie Eye." Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, is that the kind of thing that you really love? Yeah, you know, that's true. Um, Coming into a record like this, I want to be, um, in some ways, experimental. Uh, So as you say, you will get the the basis, you'll get the uh, the main sort of track itself, probably in a live take. Uh, 
Um, and then you think, okay, what are we going to surround this with? Particularly if, uh, like with Paul Epworth, his method is to build up stuff. So, and we'll often just build up the song in the studio, which is what uh, I did. And either of us will have an idea as a starting point. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned out nice again. 